The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Rotorold Football Show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Denny Carter and Connor Rogers, where we are going to be assessing the fallout from 259 draft picks. We're going to go pick by pick. <laughs> Every last one of them. I know Connor has them memorized. I'm assuming Denny does by now, too. Uh, now we're going to hit on some of the highlights of the draft and beginning with some maybe the lowlights, you could argue, with some situations that have become muddled by players getting added to situations we thought were settled. Then we're going to check in on some of the winners of the draft, some of the losers of the draft, which I wish we had a softer word than losers. That is harsh, isn't it? I know. I always want a softer Like everyone's word dreams come true on the draft weekend, and then the first thing they hear within six hours is the, the losers. I know. I know. We need a softer word than that. And then we might get some rapid fire on some kind of crazy situation. Denny is like bringing up people from like round nine and ten. <laughs> <laughs> that, that deep in the udfa process i heard. i, I want to have a whole podcast i want to have a three-hour podcast on udfas but uh but Especially Pat telling year. me no yeah D- uh, denny yeah uh, right, that'll be our show i guess one yeah. day he games out rounds eight nine and ten in his head after the 259 picks are announced and yeah look, connor connor will learn sooner or later that i'm only interested in bad players yes yeah, so Con- i was going to begin the show just oh, a okay. quick Quick icebreaker to Connor and ask him if the New York Mets ever planned on playing baseball again after they got this has been this has been pouring in New York. I am doing this from lovely NBC in Connecticut, but I live in New Jersey. I work in New York plenty, and it has been a it was a miserable weekend. So there's also like part of it where you're like, do the Mets want to play the Braves right now? They have like two <laughs> healthy starting pitchers. Like, can we just kick this can down the road? Maybe a couple months down the road. Yeah, Connor, on your next Mets podcast, I want you to talk about how David Peterson may or may not have ruined my life. And, oh, God. Uh, yeah, <laughs> may or may not have ruined my redraft. No, well, David Peterson's really good. We hope he gets back to the major soon. But you, you alluded to a miserable weather weekend. Denny, I forget, is spring one of the four seasons that you hate? I know that you yeah. hate four seasons, basically. Yeah, no, I mean, spring is definitely the worst season. Yeah, I think we're what? in agreement. Yeah. Horrible, horrible. Connor, it is. It is. I the hate worst to, season. I hate to break it's the it worst because look, at least winter. Winter is honest with you. Winter's like it. This Fair. is misery, and you're in it, and there's no escape. Okay, uh, every day is going to be terrible. Down and and so and so, but spring, it's a little promise. Hey, we got it. We got an eighty degree afternoon. We got a seventy five degree morning. But then by afternoon, it's uh, it's raining and it's forty two degrees. So uh, yeah, in That's the mid Atlantic region, spring for me is the worst. That's a fair take. I, my problem with spring isn't even the up. Oh, I guess this has to do with it. The allergy season uh, butchers me. Oh. So that's why, that's why I, I've grown to dislike spring more and more over the years. I do agree. It's nice that winter is very, very honest. Obviously fall is elite. Uh, summer, summer is severely overrated though. Ooh. I will say that. I think summer is to the point where it's underrated. I'm, I'm upset. The thing uh, I always are, say about summer yeah. is that in the summer, it's listen, slow. no one wants to be hot, but in the summer when it's hot, you can at least feel your body. Or like in the winter <laughs> when it's cold, you can't even like feel your. You just want to feel alive. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I just want to literally fair. be able to feel my extremities. It is nice. It I, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, fall fall is nice, no doubt. Uh, uh, I love summer. Uh, but spring is just a tease, you know? I mean, especially you're talking about um, like April and early May. Listen, I live in Maryland right now. Uh, I've, I've looked at your whole life. 
I've right, I've looked. I guess that's <laughs> that's true. Also, I've looked at the extended forecast, and I've never been more depressed about anything in my life. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I, that's actually a, re a real thing. There, there's no prospect for good weather no. in the future. We have to accept that the sun will never come out again in Maryland. It's something we have to come to grips with. I, I, you got me there. I'll give you that. Maybe spring is bad, actually. Connor referenced the pollen. I currently have to use a snowblower just to get the pollen like off my driveway inside. Oh, it's horrific here. stuff. That it's it is so horrific. And listen, not to get uh, into hot button issues, but you know, and with our changing climates, Missouri, I've noticed the winter is no longer uh, ever cold, and the spring is no longer ever warm. That's why spring is the worst. It's not even warm anymore in Missouri. It's just like fifty eight. And that like overcast and like drizzling all the that time. Sounds normal. That's every day in London. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's normal make, and good. Make uh, St. Louis London again is apparently now what spring does. And <laughs> we hate it. Uh, you know what else we hate is Ken Walker's fantasy value maybe getting ruined. That's where you're going to begin. And muddled situations. The, the Seahawks use a second round pick on Zach Charbonnet, a prospect. We've talked a lot about on the show. I think most of the analysts on the show really, really liked coming out of UCLA, like hyper productive four years with Chip Kelly, which I can't believe Chip Kelly has been at UCLA four years already. But it's just like we thought Pete Carroll had was kind of like seeing the light, you know, like he he really he, he proved that it, Russell Wilson wasn't the end all be all of his system. They could have offensive success without Russell Wilson. Uh, they could have offensive success passing the ball with Geno Smith. Like, we all thought, you know, the Seahawks were probably turtle in the passing game last year, and they did the exact opposite. I thought maybe it was a kind of modernizing his offense. I, and then uh, he goes and takes another day two running back um, after they already have Ken Walker. And now that the situation is genuinely confusing, because 52 is like real deal draft capital for Absolutely. running back these days. So, Connor, we'll begin a few. I mean, like, why was this pick made? What's the fallout going to be between Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet? And why will we just be crying all year in fantasy? This one is multi-layered, in my opinion, where the obvious is that we know Seattle under P, they're infatuated with running the ball and, and running the ball in a sense that they have a bruiser in Charbonnet that, to be fair, can probably, you know, factor into the passing game better than Kenneth Walker right away. So there is a clear-cut role. I think all of this is very surface level. The second thing that came to my mind, guys, the more I've kind of let this pick marinate for a while is, does Seattle not trust the health of Kenneth Walker already? You look at the summer he dealt with last year. Remember, it was like every other week the press conferences with Pete were, is Kenneth Walker going to be good for the season? Is he going to have the surgery? Is he all of these different things? So that was the beginning. Then the middle, when he took over that backfield, he was great. And then the end, it felt like he was playing through something again, where Seattle might be sitting here and going, "We are our identity is the run. We love Charbonnet, which I think everybody pretty much did, rightly so. But then it's like the third element, honestly, here, that Seattle's like one foot in one foot. Like, they love Kenneth Walker. Don't I'm not saying Kenneth Walker's done in Seattle, but I'm saying, is there an element here that we, outside the building of Seattle, can't see or read that is deeper than just, hey, they wanted two good running backs instead of one? Our, our poll quote now for your segment here will be Connor Rogers says Kenneth Walker done in Finished. Seattle and new DeAndre Swift. <laughs> yeah, Danny, we'll get to you in just one second, but I thought you made a lot of really interesting points there. And especially about the health where the CX got caught really short at running back last year when, when Ken Walker was banged up and they were giving touches to Tony Jones jr. Who just is not an NFL level running back. And yeah. you know, the DJ Dallas and Travis Homer things kind of never really worked out. I feel like they they needed to get a genuine number two. Uh, you could really argue about uh, if they needed to do that in the second round with the 52nd pick. They probably did not need to do that. But they didn't want to get caught short in the backfield again. Like you said, they love the run. And they also just probably sensibly could be betting on some Geno Smith regression because you know, Geno, that was a career year for Geno Smith. I mean, I don't think I'm going to – I think I will be easily validated in that prediction that – that's going to be the absolute peak of Geno Ball, and it's kind of just down from here. And, again, he's just philosophically at heart a run-based guy. And I think maybe all those factors played into it, Denny, but, I mean, what does it do to Ken Walker and mm -hmm. redraft? And is Zach Charbonnet going to have standalone redraft value in 2023? Yes, I, I think so. I, I'm, I can see myself. I've looked into the future, and I have seen myself <laughs> taking Zach Charbonnet quite a bit. 
in drafts and not so much Ken Walker. So, you know, coming into the NFL, there were a lot of questions about Zach, uh, about not Zach Walker, but Ken Walker's <laughs> uh, receiving profile. And uh, that really played out uh, in 2022. Uh, Walker was graded by Pro Football Focus as last season's 40th best pass catching running back out of 50 qualifying backs. Um, he had 27 catches for 165 yards. Last year, Walker was 47th in yards per route run out of those 50 qualifying running backs. And when you look at Charbonnet's uh, pass-catching profile, it's not uh, spectacular. Uh, I'll spare you the nerdy stuff, but it's not spectacular, but it's good. It's good enough. And it's and it was better than Walker's coming into the league. So I, I do think that Walker's going to lose out on any sort of pass-catching role that he may have had without this pick. I think, you know, Charbonnet is a huge problem for Walker who will now become a a boom bust guy who is still capable, still will be capable of those 60, 70, 80 yard touchdowns like we saw last year. But if you don't get those, it might be tough sledding for you if you draft Walker as your RB2 or RB3 or whatever. Denny, is Ken Walker still in our top 18 running back, say? I, I I would struggle to put him there, honestly. Oof, really? Connor? I'm with Denny. I think people will think that's a take, but I, I I'm right. right. I'm in lockstep with you on that. Yeah, I, I, him up, I put him in the I put him in the twenty to twenty five range. Wow, I don't know. That seems very low after it was a thousand yards and like only like ten or eleven starts. I mean, he did play almost offensive games. rookie of the year. It's yeah, crazy. I, know. I, I think Connor's on to something with the health and durability, though, and. Another thing, the Seahawks have been down this road before. Like they wanted to rely on Chris Carson, and they tried to so many times, and they just kept getting burned on a guy with kind of a similar profile. Like, kind of like Ken Walker is an angry runner. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? And yeah. like they, I just don't. Maybe they want to try to avoid re- repeating history there, where they want to keep him healthy. They don't have too many eggs just in one player's basket. And yeah, I don't know. So maybe top 18 is too ambitious, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you are going to get big weeks. It's going to be a seesaw type thing for Walker where sometimes you're going to look at your box score and it's going to be, you know, six rushes for 40 yards, which is fine, but it's not spectacular. Other times it's going to be 10 rushes for 120 yards and a touchdown. So I, I do think that it's going to be a little bit stressful to be able to start Walker as a flex or whatever, this coming year, I did want to mention that Charbonnet, it's a part of his receiving profile. Last year, uh, only seven running backs in the nation had more receptions than Charbonnet. That, that's somewhat due to his high snap share and high usage, but I think it is worth noting. Connor, is it a red flag that J- Zach Charbonnet contributed for four college seasons? Like, this used to be a thing that was probably considered good. Now, is it bad? Like, a lot of tread off the tires. I think it's always a long-term question, right? Like if you're in dynasty and you're valuing a guy, you know, as a say in the top four picks, I think that's where it starts to come into play because you're hoping that you have a significant shelf life. I think in redraft, it obviously just doesn't matter at all because Charbonnet, nothing he's got matters. a frame to withstand it. Nothing matters in redraft. Just <laughs> do what you want. Nothing matters in fantasy football. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, bad thing to say on this show. It's no. a- Uncomfortably close to the truth. It's, oh, yes. I remember we had that conversation with Jonathan Taylor. Um, and That's true. You could look at it two ways, right? Like Jonathan Taylor had this crazy workload throughout college, and everybody was like, does it matter? And after year one, everybody was like, no, it didn't matter. And then in year two, you could look at it and be like, hey, he's starting to get banged up already. So who knows? <laughs> I did say four years for Zach Charbonnet and you and Westwood. I forgot he spent the first two years of his career in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Connor, I wouldn't ask you this kind of question, but Denny knows I'm still reeling from forgetting what team Elijah Moore was on last week. So I'm going to ask Denny real quick, what team is Travis Homer on right now? Oh, man. Shoot. I you just know. looked this up a week ago for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember already. Ah, uh, gosh. I guess it's not the Seahawks, huh? Well, the Seahawks are an option. I'm going to ask you about two players, and the Seahawks are an option. Is Travis Homer on the Seahawks? or give The field or the Seahawks for Travis Homer? I'll go, uh, oh, man. I'll go with the field. The field. He's on the Chicago Bears. Uh, the field or Seattle for DJ Dallas, Denny? Uh, Seattle. He is still in Seattle. So yeah, he I knew could that. still be there complicating that back. I mean, see, so yeah, we're talking about Zach Charbonnet. Maybe the pass catching work may end up being DJ Dallas again. Uh, and they also. Know drafted kenny mcintosh oh that's right so, that's so that right. makes it even like kenny mcintosh is basically a receiver playing running back oh my god so I, I know you should never really look at a, what seventh round pick and like be like oh he's gonna mess us up in fantasy but 
it's he's a little bit of a nuisance in a sense. Yeah, and well, too, Seattle, we know, I mean, Seattle has always uh, used the ethos like competition. And maybe sometimes this is a talking point, but if McIntosh comes out and it's just like catching the ball over all of her training camp, Pete Carroll will like not hesitate to make him no. a part of the offense. So, yeah, even <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. We were almost going to uh, gloss over that, but that actually is worth mentioning that. Yeah, the little day three running back also in Seattle. So muddled situation. I would argue the next situation is more muddled where the Philadelphia Eagles you know, made no attempt whatsoever to re-sign Miles Sanders. They were very patient in free agency, got what seemed like a huge bargain on Rashad Penny. Uh, but then they, they, they didn't have to – I was about to say they used serious draft capital. Like Connor and I were amazed the other day how, how little draft capital they used to get DeAndre Swift. It tw- was it a 2024 fourth-round pick? That or 2025. Right. 2025. Yeah, absolutely insane. Like no draft compensation whatsoever for make DeAndre Swift an Eagle. And Denny, I mean, Connor and I already talked about this on Saturday. This this feels like a situation where it probably hurts Kenneth Gainwell a lot more than Rashad Penny, but I mean, it could have implications far beyond Kenneth Gainwell too. What is your take on DeAndre Swift becoming an Eagle? Well, I think judging from the overall reaction of the fantasy community online, uh, Swift will have an injury discount in redraft leagues. I, I can't speak <laughs> dynasty necessarily, I guess, in dynasty as well. But wow, I mean, pe- you, if you thought that people were freaked out about Rashad Penny's injuries, wait till you see how they feel about DeAndre Swift. <laughs> Swift has burned everyone who's ever played fantasy. Okay. So yes. you're going to go into this year with people saying, looking at DeAndre Swift, wherever he's falling in drafts and going, no thanks. No thank you. I'll go to the next one. Uh, you know that that's kind of blood in the water type type deal. This is what investors say. These are things investors say. Yeah, and and I, I think that, you know that that's where that's where you go. That's I that that makes him appealing to me. The fact that I'm going to get him at a major discount, and he has been hyper productive when he's been healthy. So, Dan, are you confident he could be like a zero RB target, or it, even with these like never again players? There's a reason we always talk ourselves into them, and I could see us like, oh man, it's the Eagles. It's like the most lethal rushing attack in the game. I could still see us talking ourselves into DeAndre Swift. See Connor nodding. But what, what is your take, again, on this Eagles backfield? Adding DeAndre Swift, again, to We just don't really know what to expect. Yeah. Miles Sanders is gone. A free agent or injury-prone free agent, I think we can say, even though we can debate if that's real or not. What do you think about this three-man backfield right now, Connor? I think I look at it, and obviously, like, you want to avoid headaches. It's one you'd probably just prefer to stay away from at all. But let's be honest, a lot of us are going to be drafting – wide receivers very heavily in the main of the draft. And you know, you, when you wait to bargain shop, these are the situations you walk yourself into. So, I mean, I definitely align with Denny that Swift is the guy because at least we know he's good. We all know pretty much all three of these guys are an injury risk on top of being a usage risk. But Penny has the most – it's funny. He probably has the most upside, but by far the most significant injury history. And that is just – you really got to be out on that unless it's just such a late, late, late flyer. With Swift, it also feels like a situation, too, where like they could just run him into the ground if they want. They might not look at it like the, like the Lions last year. Didn't it feel like they were almost afraid to overplay him? They were the like Eagles, they were keeping like a governor on him. So, sorry if this yeah, is yeah. the Eagles, they probably don't care this year. They got him for almost for free at that point, and they're not going to pay him. That's a great point. So yeah. I, I look at it like this for the Eagles. If you're going to run any of those guys into the ground, you run Swift into the ground. Who cares? And he – has I think has a better chance to withstand it than Penny and kind of pick your poison there. So I totally align that I'm taking the flyer on Swift if anyone. I mean, look, you can take a flyer, like you just said, Connor, on a guy who last year in, in Swift had the fifth highest yards per route run among all running backs. Fifth highest. Like he's yeah, really good as a pass catcher yeah, as yes. a backfield. We saw Gainwell thrive in that role for for portions of last season, of last two seasons, really. So I I'm I'm kind of excited about Swift. I think that's why I would bet on Swift too. It is because I think he has like his role has the least competition. I mean, provided he can beat out Kenneth Gainwell, it seems like the Eagles staff, you know, the classic situation. They do. The Eagles staff they like, like him. Yeah, they like Kenneth Gainwell a lot more than fantasy managers do. That's true. And it might just not be like, like we can't maybe just take it for granted. DeAndre Swift is gonna be the pass catcher, but I mean, 46 receptions all three of his seasons in the NFL. He's never even appeared in more than 14 games. Uh, he hasn't always been as efficient as we would like as a pass catcher, but he is a legit NFL pass catching back. And if he can win that role, 
you know, early down with Shad Penny, we're going to have the same concerns we did with Miles Sanders, which is every time they get inside the six or seven yard line, Jalen Hurts is just going to score the touchdown. Right. And you have a guy with Penny's injury history, too. You might not want him banging around at the goal line. So Penny could turn into like an ultimate, like between the 20s running back, even if he stays healthy. And I just think DeAndre Swift and his pass catching might be like the safest harbor. I say as Kenneth Gainwell wins that role and then nothing matters. And, <laughs> and is the answer Kenneth Gainwell zero RB? Is that where maybe we're, we're what we're building toward? Uh, I mean, yes, but I also don't know if he's going to be fall into that famous so-called dead zone uh, where we don't really love to take running backs, but uh, yeah, I mean, he right now, I think he he profiles, but also he only I mean, caught 23 passes in 17 games this year. I thought it was more <laughs> going to be honest. It always felt like more. Yeah, no gain. Well, I thought it was Gainwell. a lot more than that. He only caught 23 balls in 17 games. So right. uh, I don't uh, know, maybe maybe it won't be as hard to overcome that for DeAndre Swift as I thought. It's going to be really hard to figure out this Philadelphia backfield. Like, like, you know, you're, you're going to take stabs at Penny, at Gainwell, at Swift. Um, I, I do think that Swift will probably pound for pound be the best value because especially in PPR formats, uh, I, I, I just can't get away from the fact that he's been so good when he hasn't been injured. And honestly, for me, the fact that a guy has an injury history is not, is not a reason to write him off. Uh, would be remiss if I did not mention that Boston Scott is still also on the Eagles. Oh, and Come on. This could get really weird and very, <laughs> very frustrating. So we talk about two muddled backfields. We're talking about a receiver core that was already muddled before they added a second round receiver and Marvin Mims, who pretty much everyone associated with the show talked up in the pre-draft process, yeah. especially Eric Froton loved Marvin Mims, but Cortland Sutton's at a career crossroads. Jerry Judy's at a career crossroads. The Broncos are at a crossroads with Russell Wilson and a new coach who wants to do things his way. A guy who like really, really goes out and gets his guys and Sean Payton as evidenced by over the weekend going out and getting Adam Troutman, who has never really been productive in fantasy, but has apparently done what Sean Payton wants to do. Connor, what do we think Marvin Mims arrival means in Denver for receiver core that, like I said, was already in flux and really, really hard to like prognosticate heading into 2023. Right. We saw them pick up Judy's fifth year option. It sounds like the calls that teams have made on Sutton and Judy, it, the Broncos were in a different stratosphere of what they wanted. So maybe they're not actually interested in trading them. And it just makes you wonder, of course, Hamler will be coming back from an injury. It's funny, like Marvin Mims almost overcorrected where everybody liked him so much as this underrated guy. And then he went ahead of Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman and Josh Downs, who I all liked better than him. So you, <laughs> it's kind of a fine line now to walk with Mims. I'll be honest with you guys, my fear of this offense is, besides the fact we don't know if Russell Wilson is going to bounce back or not, all of their pro-market moves have indicated run-heavy team under Sean Payton. They've gone out and signed a lot of different blocking options at both offensive line and tight end, and the tight end signing was the big one to me. They obviously have some depth in the backfield, even without Javante Williams guaranteed to play this year. Um, so I like Mims' dynasty option because eventually that wide receiver room will figure itself out. I don't know if Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are there for the long term, but in a redraft field, I don't really see a big impact from Marvin Mims this year as much as I liked him a lot before the draft, and then it turns out so did the NFL. Yeah, I know. Hey, it's nice. Every once in a while, they actually agree with yeah. Uh, yeah. a, a fantasy. Like, oh, we weren't, yeah, the, we weren't just yelling that for no reason. Exactly. The fantasy community like glom onto someone, and they're like a fifth-round pick. Uh, it was nice yeah, to right. see him get some actual draft capital. We also need to mention, of course, Tim Patrick coming back from a torn ACL. Yeah. But we, Denny we, – The media makes it sound like that's their favorite wide receiver. I know. Everyone. I know. I think maybe he was for some prior regimes. Yeah. But who knows with Sean Payton – and Denny, what is your take on this influx Broncos receiver core? It, lo- it looks like the Broncos today or during the show picked up the fifth year option for Judy. Uh, so I, I'm not sure if we mentioned that, but uh, so he'll be back. Um, Sutton, well, he was already coming. That's so that's a vote uh, of confidence for 2024. Right, Judy, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. For yeah. 2024. Yes. Uh, so uh, Sutton has been uh, so down bad. It's actually hard to quanti- quantify yes. over the past two seasons. Um, he used to be, a big body downfield pass catcher. It's not that way anymore. I think Mims can take over that, that role, that primary downfield role. And I would be remiss and I'm never remiss uh, to say that uh, 
Russell Wilson was sixth last year in completion rate on deep passes. That's 20 plus yards uh, down. And it was always like that in Seattle. Right. too. So whatever, whatever he lost last year, which was a lot. Okay. Like, like really like a statistically horrific season. Everybody knows this. He was still pretty good at the deep ball. So Marvin Mims, I think, I think provides an outlet for that. Now, fantasy wise, that makes him, that makes Mims probably a very volatile option from, from, from week to week. And you're talking about probably a deep league option and probably like Connor said, a deep league option because the Broncos are going to do everything to get uh, Russell Wilson back into that game manager role where he was very good at, in Seattle. Uh, he came to Denver with this idea that he was going to be let loose. They were going to let him cook. And we all know how that ended up in Seattle first and then in Denver. So he's not going to be cooking anymore. They're going to be handing the ball off a lot. They're going to be conservative. That will that will leave a very little few options for guys outside of Judy, I think. Connor Denny alluded to Marvin Mims being more of a downfield guy, despite only being five foot eleven, buck eighty three. I mean, he just is. He, he was a, a game breaker. I think a humongous percentage of his yards in college came on forty plus yard receptions. Yeah. Guy has a big man's game and a little man's body. Am I? Am I, I was just describe Marvin Mims's game to us real quick. Is, was that correct? A correct way to put it? It absolutely is. He is a smaller receiver or more a skinny wide receiver. I mean, he's got the four or three wheels. He caught twenty touchdowns in three years. This is not a guy that ever did a red shirt. So a younger player did his three years and left school and. Um, I think when you look at it, it is odd. His contested catch percentage is much better than you would expect at that size. He really knows how to high point the ball. Once again, I think his the best part about his game is with the speed, he sets himself up in advantageous positions down the field that puts DBs into recovery mode, and that allows him to also capitalize on being a good contested catch above the rim receiver, considering he's a smaller target. So. I think that is a good that is a really good reason to be optimistic as Danny alluded to. Russ is still a good deep ball thrower, and that is something that has really matched with Marvin Mims's game. Uh, and he you know he did play for Lincoln Riley for two years where you look at it, he's been in an offense that understands how to draw up explosive plays. So that won't be an adjustment for him at all. Sean Payton's got to be in heaven because he's just basically got us all in hell, like trying to figure out what he's going to do. And he's like the, he's just like the ultimate. Oh, you thought you knew my plan, huh? And then it's like, but you never heard of Taysom Hill. And then he does it for five years. And uh, yeah, but he is going to have a ball confounding expectations in Denver. We're going to have a ball right after this. And we come back to talk about some fantasy winners. Every season is draft season. Get your Roto-World Draft Guide bundle today and dominate your football, baseball, and basketball drafts. It's packed with profiles, rankings, and projections. Order today and get all three Roto-World Draft Guides for the price of two. Plus, use promo code BARRY to save an extra 20% off at checkout. That is promo code B-E-R-R-Y to save an extra 20% off at checkout. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, guys, we talked about 
um, some muddled situations. Now we're getting in some situations where maybe there's some clear winners. Although the very first one, there is not a clear winner. I'm kind of like uh, cheating with the framing on this. I would say Jameer Gibbs is a winner because he went a lot higher than we expected and that even he expected. I've been making this point kind of a lot of places, but yeah, always an interesting sign when the player's like, wow, I had no idea I'd be going that high in the draft. Uh, so a big, big winner. Uh, Jameer Gibbs was on draft weekend, but maybe the most controversial pick of the draft. We thought he might sneak into day one. We did not think he would crash into the top half of the draft, although there were rumors after the fact that uh, whoever had picked 15, I forget who the was Jets, They thought the Jets, the Jets which is even yeah, more peculiar that considering is. everything in that backfield. But what? Yeah. That's right, and that raises questions about Brees Hall. <laughs> Maybe this is a lot, but then the Jets didn't take a running back until like very, very late in the draft. So, how does that make a lot of sense? Like, it's very odd, very, very odd. So, Jameer Gibbs, a very controversial pick. Uh, Denny, just what do we think of Jameer Gibbs's rookie year fantasy expectations? Because DeAndre Swift is out, David Montgomery is in, has replaced Jamal Williams. An offense that like clearly thinks the time is now if they're making like what amounts to a luxury pick at. Oh, I guess they don't think it's a luxury pick if they're making it at 12. But just what do we think of Jameer Gibbs' uh, prospects in this Lions offense? David Montgomery's not going anywhere, unfortunately. And uh, he's David Montgomery's going to score a lot of touchdowns. Demont Nations cannot be dislodged. No matter yeah, I, I look, I know like Gibbs is a prospect, super exciting, probably will be good for fantasy, you know, especially from a pass catching standpoint, he'll absorb all that, all those routes that Swift ran when he was healthy last year. They'll probably not have the, like you said, Pat, the governor on, on uh, uh, Gibbs as they did on, on Swift, uh, which is good. You know, I think for, for obviously at least for his floor, if not for, for his upside. Um, But, you know, prospect wise, weight wise, size wise, you know, he does, it does not profile, and, and I'm not the first person to say this, but it does not profile as a guy who's going to be just force-fed the ball. Um, it never was in college all, either. All parts of the field, right. And and so I think we have to come to accept that, kind of expect that, and and know that DeMont, as 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 you so lovingly call him, is uh, is going to be there, and is going, is, he's also going to be a big part of this of this running game in Detroit. He is Connor DJ, or not DJ, excuse me, Denny kind of just alluded to how Jameer Gibbs will be used, but just, just how do you think Jameer Gibbs will? Because we hear so much about the pass catching threat. We hear so much about him being a mismatch. He did have almost a thousand yards rushing for Alabama last season, right around 150 carries each of the past two years, you know, only like 11 or 12 games in college. Just how do you expect Jameer Gibbs to even be used? Right. I think if you're taking him at 12, you have to be dreaming of a scenario that he is Alvin Kamara. I, no exaggeration. Like, that's how you look at it. It's, you know, Kamara's never had that thousand yard season on the ground, and it really didn't matter because he's somebody that can draw 80 to 100 targets a game. So I think with Gibbs, especially in terms of redraft, we know everybody's going to love him in Dynasty. It, you really, there's a drastic difference of him in PPR compared to a regular format because Montgomery, when they went out and paid David Montgomery, you looked at it and go, you saw what they did with Jamal Williams, and then they went and paid for David Montgomery. You're thinking like, oh, they think they got a premium Jamal Williams now in this <laughs> offense, which scares you even more from any other running back being in it. So I think with Gibbs, he doesn't have the traditional frame of being a workhorse running back, but I do think he has special, special skills for the receiving game because his acceleration is so explosive. He's somebody that can really transition from pass catcher to open field runner much quicker than your average player. So I think Ben Johnson looks at this offense and goes, I have a lot of different varying skill sets at wide receiver. They also drafted Sam Laporta really high. So now they are going to actually factor in a tight end in this offense. But I think they look at Gibbs and just have to think they can get him in space and force feed him. I, if you're taking him there, I would hope he's getting at least seven targets a game. People are going to think that sounds insane, but he took him in the top 15 of the draft. Yeah. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, Gibbs, his uh, career best uh, reception rate, or I'm sorry, a uh, reception share at Alabama was 17%. That is a very rare threshold to hit for a running back. Uh, so I, I think Connor's onto something in saying that they're going to force feed him in the passing game, not, not in the running game. And hey, We'll take that. We will take it will take because that. he yeah, can do great. he can do a lot with seven, six, seven targets in the game. A ton. A good offense. I do think it could also be like a Seattle Geno Smith thing too, where they think, listen, we got more out of Jared Goff last year than we're probably ever going to get again. Right? Good point. I, I don't know if anyone thought Jared Goff had another season like that in the tank. And as, as a guy who's been traditionally needed, like the offense generated for him, Jared Goff's not the guy who will generate offense for you. And Jameer Gibbs 
is someone like very much like Amon Ross St. Brown who can actually generate that offense for Jared Goff. So I think that might have been part of the thought process too. I still, I still don't know why you give up DeAndre Swift for like a song, but um, they didn't like him. Denny, is the answer, by the way, Craig Reynolds, zero RB? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Craig Reynolds is inevitable, as, uh, yes, as the Zoomers are saying. I believe there's that's a TikTok meme that Craig Reynolds is inevitable. Yeah, he will um, always emerge uh, <laughs> in, the, in the long run, yes. So very, very, very fascinating situation. Again, so Detroit, too, we've been starting to think like they were sharps. And then you know, they take the running back, and they took also an off-ball linebacker. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Yeah, Jack Campbell yeah, in the first so, round. Uh, they're they're hitting on seventeen at the blackjack table. Yes, they, they are. are. Yeah, they're they're feeling it. So we're gonna see what happens in Detroit. We are seeing what happens in Baltimore, which is that not only is the band getting back together, they're finally adding new members. You know, cooler heads prevailed. Sanity prevailed. Lamar Jackson is back. He's the highest paid player in the league. They're finally committing like the entire build to him. I guess you could argue it was built around him before and his running skills. Now they're trying to build around Lamar and his passing skills. Uh, they gave Odell Beckham way more money than I thought he could possibly get at this stage of his career. They signed Nelson Aguilar to try to stretch the field. And most importantly, they used a first round pick on Zay Flowers, Connor. Just how do you, you know, Todd Monken, a much heavier pass, uh, yeah. passing, pa- pa- what am I trying to pass play caller than Greg Roman is in his offensive coordinator. Just what do you see? I mean, it's kind of obvious, but what do you think the Ravens are trying to do on offense? How do you think this is going to manifest itself with all these new pass catchers? I think Munkin, ironically, is the biggest move of any compared to any of the acquisitions, right? Like Munkin's effect on Lamar Jackson from a fantasy perspective has a bigger impact as a whole than just signing Odell or just signing Aguilar, or just drafting Zay Flowers and Rashad Bateman being healthy. Like all of that, that's a really good wide receiver room that they flipped this to. I think Zay Flowers, as much as he played inside outside at college, is going to have to be an inside only wide receiver at the next level. I was going to ask you how they plan to use Yeah, he's got to play in the slot. But now you kind of have different speed across your wide receiver alignments. We know Odell can win down the field. We know Zay can win down the field. We know Aguilar can. Uh, Bateman should probably be more of that possession kind of player. But I think they – will try to stretch the field with their route game with Lamar. And that gives him even more room to run. And, oh, yeah, Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely are still there as well. So if Lamar stays healthy, I mean, it's crazy to say this about a guy that's already won an MVP, but there's no reason this can't be his most explosive season yet because of what he's going to be allowed to do. With Greg Roman, there were so many times where it was like, well, with the way – and I'm sure Harbaugh's involved in this too, but – we're going to handcuff the quarterback situation because we know we can kind of grind out games with the run and we don't have to take as many chances. And I think in this situation, this will get Lamar throwing the ball down the field a little bit more because the fact that they have speed across the board at every wide receiver spot. Yeah. It's just music to all of our ears. And and you can manufacture touches to say too. I should have been clear about that. Like those. Yeah. Didn't they, they were manufacturing touches from in pretty bad offenses at Boston college, right? Whatever that (laughs) offense. Offense was supposed to be. <laughs> you jet sweeps, pitch passes, screens, uh, drag routes that clear out. Like that, there is a lot they could do. And Munkin, Monk I mean, if I had to handpick an offensive coordinator to get a quarterback going from a fantasy perspective, Munkin would be pretty high on my list. Well, you're saying you're saying Munkin after I incorrectly said Munkin. I always forget it is Munkin. It is Todd Munkin is the name of the. I, uh, I should go from Stetson Bennett to Lamar Jackson. Like no hate. Yeah, I believe they're called natties. And boy, speaking of Sets and Bennett, the Rams are I don't know. They seem I I, I can guarantee you Sean Payton is not or not excuse me, Sean McVay did not draft Sets and Bennett just to be like I bet he's got like secret dreams and hopes and aspirations for Stetson Bennett, if I know Sean McVay, which I don't know Sean McVay at all. <laughs> Denny, who do you see emerging triumphant in fantasy from like this new Ravens jumble? Because it isn't really hard. Like last year, you know, it was like the hunger games between Devin Duvernay and like, lots of players <laughs> like Devin Duvernay. Now the talent level has been up. Rashad Bateman's finally healthy. Like, who in the world should we be prioritizing in redrafts? I mean, you know, Bateman was – was pretty good before the injury last year, as far as uh, you know, the peripheral stats go, it, it, it w- wasn't anything that like, you know, off the charts or really blew you away, but he was fine. He was fine. And, and, and I think that added uh, target competition 
might not be a, a bad thing. You know, it might, it, it might draw defenses a little bit away from him. They might focus on OBJ or if he's healthy and, and fully like back or not fully back, but at least somewhat back uh, flowers, uh, a more creative offense, I think would be good for Bateman. Uh, we, we forget that, that the Roman offense became so the Greg Roman offense became so uh, predictable uh, that defenders were calling out the plays before they happened. And Lamar Jackson, among others, were very frustrated by this because they were begging for, for more innovation, for more motion, for more, so more ways to at least have the defense on their heels a little bit. But defenders knew, and they would say after the game, yeah, we knew, it, we knew every play before it happened. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're, getting, you're getting away from this completely. Uh, and I think that's great for Lamar. I think it could be fantastic for Bateman, who I, I think fantasy managers will be down uh, on Bateman generally. Be. Uh, because of how last year went so much hype. DeAndre Swift of receivers right so so much hype going into the season people were so psyched to finally get the receiver that the that the Ravens invested in to give to Lamar Jackson as a as a threat uh he let him down and I think that we should be back on him this year Denny, I'm glad you clarified when you said the Roman offense, by the way. I thought maybe you were talking about uh, you know, the Roman Empire began to decline when it stopped invading. Uh, they, well, when they, listen, and, when they established the run, the Romans you know, kind of faltered. So yeah, they did. And uh, Connor, you know, you kind of were hinting at Lamar Jackson MVP uh, action there. What do you in the fancy football happy hour over there with Matthew and Jay? Do you think they'll be they'll be placing putting some money down maybe in Lamar Jackson MVP this season? We did talk about him a little bit today and how much we we are high on the situation for him. I I wonder where his odds – they're probably already up. I really should pull them up at some point during the show. I actually do that after this because now Mr. I'm curious. Adam will probably do that as you're talking. Just here, keep filibustering for a minute. The and then he'll... problem with Lamar, and this is just how I personally bet, I don't bet on long tickets on guys that are hurt because it's just the death signal for those awards. Like – we like if you miss two games in the quarterback MVP race and you could be having an amazing season, you're out. Like same thing for really running back. Like it's that's different, totally different. But with quarterbacks, you you have to prioritize the health. But Lamar in fantasy, I mean, he should be absolute dynamite. And maybe I'm wondering where the hype will be and the ADP will be on him because I think some people will be excited about the offense change and the receivers around him, and then the other people will be like, "But he's hurt a lot. Can I trust him as that kind of level of pick anymore?" He's going to be a really, really fascinating ADP because he was going to be totally narrative dependent. And yeah. now that I think like that the news has all been good, that people aren't going to really drop him that much from like the Josh. Is it overcorrect? Right. Yeah, like, I think so. Yeah. Like he might remain in that top tier with like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Whereas if the offseason had gone just even a little bit differently, he might have gotten tiered out of that elite tier. And there's just no way that's happening now. So exactly. It's going to be a very, so very fascinating be- situation with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Do you have any final thoughts but there, But if you have a dynasty, you're probably loving life. You are. Right you are. And please, to stay healthy, Lamar. That would be amazing. to For a talent like Lamar Jackson, we've been robbed back-to-back seasons of him finishing the year. Denny, someone we talked about last week was Anthony Richardson, about just kind of where he would go theoretically if it was somewhere where he should go and redraft, if it was somewhere we had a chance to start or somewhere even if he didn't seemingly have a chance to start. Well, he was one of the biggest winners of draft weekend because he ended up somewhere where he's clearly going to start. Ended up somewhere where the owner, Jim Ursay, has already said he will start as a rookie. And maybe he could go through like the rigmarole of a camp competition and they could start Gardner Minshew for a few games. Oh. But Anthony Richardson is going to be starting in 2023. We know all about the question marks. We know all about the absolutely insane upside. Now that we have a home for Anthony Richardson, Denny, He's the QB what in fantasy, and I know the answer is probably going to be shockingly high. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I I can't justify putting him much below uh, in no particular order. And Mahomes, Allen, Hurts. That's it. That's Man. the list. Really? I I, I I mean, who? who I, no one can provide that. What about Fields? Of- what about Burrow? What about no, not Burrow? Burrow? Not Burrow. Maybe Fields. Not Burrow? No. Wow. No. No, no. Burrow's Burrow. been a model breaker two years in a row, Denny. No, I know he I, doesn't run, but he's been the model breaker. He's like Aaron Rodgers. He's so efficient, so many big plays, he breaks the model. Denny. I, I I get that, and and look, I'm I I may be a little bit over my skis here, but the, I I will I will double down and say that uh, Anthony Richardson provides the sort of rushing ceiling that is just out of this world. Like you know, I, I'm not I'm not 
comparing it directly to Jalen Hurts, but we, but people were not drafting Jalen Hurts appropriately last year or the year before. They were not. They were, but he had a much longer passing track record, including in college. Then, uh, Connor, I saw you kind of nods of affirmation to Denny, though. So I take it you agree that his ADP is going to be uncomfortably high for everyone. I feel like. Yeah, I, I probably will stay away. Obviously, in, like I have a second overall pick in a dynasty draft and I'm going to take him, um, which is a totally different perspective than redraft where yes. here's my fears. Right. And why I'm, I'm not comfortable with him that high. One, do they view him like where they can really keep the training wheels on and and they sign, they start Gardner Minshew because Steichen brought Gardner with him. And like, if oh, Gardner man, plays the first four games that he, of the season, that he knows the system. Oh, that's man. really right. It's like those little annoying things where, like, are they just going to unleash Richardson right away and live with the peaks and valleys? I don't know, honestly. Number two would be, I, man, the tricky thing is, unlike Jalen Hurts, do they get in the red and they're like, we don't need our quarterback to run this in, we're going to hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor three times in a row. I, these are things I don't know, but I'm going to wait to see this year to figure it out. And maybe that's, a, you know, obviously part of this is trying to forecast and get value early. Um, so dynasty, I couldn't be like more in on him because his rushing floor and deep throwing is just absurd, but I am fascinated with what their actual plan for him is because I, it might be more longer term than some of the hype will indicate. Like he's plus 900 to win offensive rookie of the year those odds are that I feel like those are that he's starting and we don't know that yet. It's true. That's true. And, and if he's not starting, then obviously this, this all goes out. The Throw it all out. <laughs> he will, he will start though. So, I mean, I think like yeah, you guys are both play. making valid arguments where Denny is absolutely right about the stratospheric upside and Connor's absolutely right. about like the very real question marks, but like he is going to get on the field at some point, like, which I mean, again, it's, it's the owner who, who even though he owns the team actually really doesn't have like final say on that. Maybe in training camp, he just doesn't look close to ready and they commit more to like red shirting him. Like it doesn't usually get more clear cut than the owner saying, yeah, he's going to play. And there were places where Anthony Richardson could have been like a top 10 pick and maybe not played as a rookie. Um, so he's like, yeah. So he's landed in like the right spot to actually play as a rookie. The question mark so is, two, two factors, just real quick, two factors that make me believe that Anthony Richardson will not, be in a situation where the team says, Oh, pump the brakes. We got to sit the kid for a year is two things. One is sack avoidance. And this is something our former colleague, Pat Crane mentioned in his, uh, in his newsletter, uh, which the name escapes me right now. I'm so sorry, Crane. Uh, it's legendary uh, upside. Legendary upside. Yes. Legendary. <laughs> Check that out folks. It's really good. Uh, anyway, sack avoidance uh, really off the charts. One of the best in uh, all of college football at avoiding sacks. That is a great indication of a guy's readiness. Also, big-time throws, really great. Connor mentioned this, at throwing the ball downfield into tight windows. He's good at that. He can improve the short area stuff. And honestly, even if he doesn't, from a fantasy standpoint, who cares? Who cares? He can run the ball. Instead of dumping it off to to some tight end for a five-yard gain, he will simply go get the five-yard gain with his feet. Yeah, 19 big time throws last year. That is a um that's a pretty high marker honestly. Like in comparison when we heard Will Levis being mocked like in the same situation, he had 7 last year. For his career, I'm assuming. Oh, wow. <laughs> last year even. Wow. Okay. 7 that's last year. Richardson more than I would have guessed to be honest. Um, yeah. So, but um, still like three times as many as Levis and they yeah. were mocked in the same places for how long? Yeah, no, it's it kind of interesting. Based on off, off potential. Um the truth one with Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah. Film one. Before we move on real quick, some rapid fire on Anthony Richardson versus insert name. The very first name. going to Who will have more fantasy points at the end of 2023 season? Denny, Justin Herbert, or Anthony Richardson? Wow. Richardson. Connor. I'll take Herbert. Deshaun Watson or Anthony Richardson, Denny Carter? Ooh, Richardson. Wow. I'll go. I'll go Richardson on that one, man. Uh, that might be all I have actually, because Denny yeah. already. Said, well, okay, Joe Burrow or Richardson. I mean, I. I've, Come on, man. I'm going Burrow. <laughs> I'm going Burrow easily. <laughs> I'm say comfort, comfortably. Yeah, I, I would say comfortably. That was the also. one that I raised my eyebrow to. Denny like, <laughs> really some, means this. Some say I get too excited about about stuff in fantasy, okay. and I may be a little bit excited here. 
Um, what about is Justin Fields no brainer over Anthony Richardson for 2023? I don't no brainer. I, I mean, saying, I don't think no brainer. Yeah, I don't know about that. Fields has been hurt a lot. He has. I know. I know. I mean, yeah, the shoulder. Now he's got shoulder issues. Producer Adam wants to know about Tua versus Anthony Richardson, and he, Connor. He put the caveat well, healthy Tua all season, I, and I go, I go Tua in that world. So but I, I also don't think that'll happen. I know what Denny's going to say. If I'm not going Burrow, I can't go Tua. Yeah, exactly. I have to stay consistent. Stay consistent. Denny loves consistency. We love taking a quick break and then returning after this. Download the Rotorold app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It is available in your app store today. Now we're on to the segment that we wish we had a different title for. Other than fantasy losers, we got it. Someone's got to workshop a name <laughs> like better than, than like questionable uh, picks. Yeah, I don't know. Questionable. Uh, well, yeah, that makes it tough because it's not really questionable setups. I don't know. Uh, players for whom the draft was not friendly. Yes, exactly. Players yeah. experiencing draft. <laughs> I don't know. I can't think <laughs> of any failures. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know, player wow. fantasy players experiencing point loss. Denny, I think that might be up there. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, so, that's the most politically correct thing exactly, that's ever that's been said on this <laughs> Producer Adam just say we could just say stock down. Uh, that probably is a lot <laughs> that's better. true. Yeah. Thanks, right. Adam. And I'm going to go with fantasy football players ex- experiencing point loss. <laughs> um, we'll begin in Seattle, where Jackson Smith and Jigba. You know, I he, I don't know if he really you would say he fell, but he. Fell to the Seahawks at number 20. I can say some people might have viewed it as a weird landing spot because they have two superstar receivers. But I've been making the case, you know, they didn't have any number three receivers. Tyler Lockett yep. is aging. So they have like a legit number three receiver. They have a slot succession plan now, Connor. Uh, but, you know, it's also weird, though, because they have a clear run game commitment. How much do you see Jackson Smith and Jigba eating into DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett's counting stats in 2023? I think the target share is a big deal. I really do. Now, number one, you have to factor in the fact that just JSN's really good. Like, I don't want that to get lost in the shuffle where it's like, oh, no, another body of wide receiver that hurts these guys. It's like, no, he's actually really good, and you actually want to not feature him, but he's a big part of your offense, something that I think that they use need a little more of, and that's a tough – middle of the field kind of dirty work wide receiver. Um, so I think it's a pretty big deal, honestly, long-term. He, he comes in there tailor-made for the slot. I know Lockett will still get his opportunities in there, but you like that JSN can really just come in and dominate out of the slot. And that might be something that Gino is very, very comfortable with as well. So especially working off of play action in an offense that has two really good running backs and the offensive line is figuring it out as well. So I think it's a pretty big deal, to be honest with you, in terms of how much he could eat into their workload. Yeah. So, I mean, just to give you an idea how concentrated and folks who play fantasy avidly obviously know this already. But uh, for the rest of you listening in uh, in May, uh, Lockett and Metcalf combined for 50 percent of Seattle's targets and two thirds of their air yards in 2022. I mean, that is just as concentrated as an NFL passing attack can get. Right. And when you look at how Lockett and Metcalf are used in formations, I have to believe that that Lockett loses out, has experiences more point loss here than he uh, than, than, than yeah. Metcalf. Because you, you look, right? I love it. I love so that. You have, Lockett ran forty two percent of his routes from the slot last year. Metcalf only yep. ran sixteen percent of his routes from the slot last year. So if uh, if Smith and Jigba is going to be used primarily as a slot receiver, then that maybe that means that they're going to bump Lockett out. More and almost has to, to. and like Lockett used to have the reputation like being infamously inconsistent, and I feel like that even if the point total stays largely the same, which it probably won't, it's going to be just really volatile again, Denny. Um, Like right, Uh, so uh, you know, I mean, maybe they'll 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 use more three wide receiver sets than they than they did last year. Now that they have three viable receivers, uh, you know that 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 could be one way this goes. But to me, I'm not worried about uh, DK Metcalf as much as I am Lockett. I think that really, yeah, that totally scans to me because, I mean, Connor, would you say JSN's going to be exclusively in the slot? Because it kind of just feels that way. And so DK's it's, role won't really yeah. be changing, whereas Lockett's role, even though he's comfortable playing both inside and out, it just seems like Lockett's role is going to change a lot more. 
That's what I think. I, I think that you draft JSN for him to thrive in the slot. And it's not that he, he's useless outside, but you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot at that point if you if you just don't play him in the slot majority of his reps. Yeah, so it just seems like Tyler Lockett, you know, he's getting older. Maybe he's a guy who has stayed healthy for a while now, but has a few concerning injuries. Maybe they just want to like, like little back his reps a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like he's it's one of those where you, a lot of stuff. You Google it and you're like, dang, he played 16 games like the last three years. But then you remember the season, it's the Mike Williams not on that level, but the Mike Williams of like, why am I checking injury reports every day? What is he dealing with? Does it affect him this week? Like that's a, that's an underlying factor. Yeah, so it just it was very very maybe they didn't need to do it in the first round, but the Seahawks needed a third wide receiver. Last I heard, you can't just have only two wide receivers. And not today's they, NFL. Um, yeah, the only. By, by the way, producer Adam, uh, not to put you on the spot, Connor, he reminds us that you've seen some similarities between JSN and Cooper Cup, and are basically guaranteeing JSN's going to have two thousand yards receiving <laughs> this season. No, uh, and and Adam points out Shane Waldron. Uh, Offensive coordinator for Seahawks yeah. was with Cooper Cup, I believe, maybe during his record-setting season. What are, what are the similarities you see between GSN, JSN and Cooper Cup? Elite agilities. When you're in the slot, you have that two-way go, and that is complete hell to put a, a defender in coverage in that situation. When you're an elite, agile uh, weapon that can really cut, shift, ve- very vast release package off the line of scrimmage. I, I got to sit down with JSN at the Combine, and that was something we talked about in depth, is you ask guys, like, who do you compare yourself to? Or part? Like, with JSN, the answer was, like, he he studies tons of receivers and pulls things out of their game. And for him, it was, you know, Devontae Adams, the way he gets off the line of scrimmage. And I was like, yeah, I see that. That's a huge part of the game. So with Cup, that's something – everybody looked at Cup's, I feel like, age and 40 – and they're like, there's no way this guy can be anything more than a number three. But when you look at the mental aspect of the game, how polished JSN and Cup were coming out of school in terms of release packages, route tree, contested catches in the middle of the field and traffic, that sets a floor that's pretty unique. Uh, so, and I, so I saw them as very, very similar players. Like if you put JSN in McVay's offense in that Cup role, I'm not saying he gets 2,000 yards, but he'll be really, really good. And that's what we might see in Seattle in the next three to four years. It's going to be fascinating. Jason's going to be just a really, really, he was going to be one of the most fascinating prospects from his class, regardless, like guy who, who was better than two first round receivers and his only right. productive college campaign. But he only has the injury question marks. He seems to be like a slot guy only, uh, maybe not only, but uh, just going to be a really, really fascinating player at the NFL level. Denny, the Bills made one of the more surprising picks around one. They made Dalton Kincaid the first tight end off the group and you know a famously loaded tight end class. We, we thought they really needed receiver help. They clearly thought they needed pass catching help, but they went a tight end instead of receiver. Kincaid is there. I mean, it seems like even though Dalton Kincaid's not going to be playing like the same kind of tight end as Dawson Knox, it seems like it makes Dawson Knox one of the big fantasy experiencing point losses of yeah. – this year and same thing with Gabe Davis just what do you think the fallout is from Dalton Kincaid arriving in Buffalo well listen Dalton Kincaid is a is basically a big slot uh for for this Buffalo offense and they're obsessed this 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 team is obsessed with getting a legit slot receiver I think I think they possibly have found one here in an unconventional a somewhat unconventional way um after going the complete opposite route last year with Isaiah McKenzie um and and obviously that didn't work out the way they wanted. Now I I, I will say that uh, reviews about Kincaid's blocking or lack thereof in college are are pretty I think pretty nice, pretty good for his pass catching prospects. Good. If they you know if they if they really want to use him in that way. Now I understand that that takes him off the field and pass blocking or run blocking situations. We don't want blocking. We want Mike Jusecki. Right and and so but if the coach if the coaches are okay with that. Then he will be put put in there to to catch passes. We saw this uh, last year with the uh, Broncos tight end, uh, rookie tight end, whose name escapes me at the moment. Dulcich, Dulcich, Pat Crane's favorite player. You can read all yeah. about it. A legendary upside, right? And Dulcich is uh, was not brought in ever to block, only to catch passes. So I, I do think that that uh, pretends well for his fantasy value. I I, I do have to say though that um, if if he is like limited to only like passing down situations, obviously that's gonna that's gonna be an issue, especially because Josh Allen runs 
more than almost any other quarterback except for maybe two or three. And that takes away pass attempts. And we've seen that it's pretty hard to identify a second pass catching option fantasy wise in this offense outside of Stefan Diggs because the pass attempts are somewhat limited because of Josh Allen's uh, mobility. Right. It's one of those weird things where I agree. You look at it and go, well, he's not much of a blocker in line. Not at all. A little bit on the move. Okay. Whatever. So you like that because it's like, okay, they're going to just play him as a slot. But then it's also the factor of what you don't like about it is that takes him off the field in certain situations for a quarterback that when the play breaks down and it turns into backyard football scramble drill, those quarterbacks like to throw it up to the big guy in the red zone. So does it hurt Kincaid in the goal line situations? I don't know the answer to that, but it's something I'll monitor pretty closely early on with him. Kind of real quick, what was the deal with Kincaid's health? I know he didn't like test like whatsoever in the pre-draft process. Yeah, back injury for bigger players is very, very concerning. I know he had clearance eventually, but when you're the pass-catching, athletic-ish tight end, you'd like to have the testing numbers if you're going to be a first or second-round pick and uh, an older prospect as well. So I think it's something – you know, that you definitely want to keep an eye on because the physicality going from the pack to the AFC East is a different animal. I just made a totally unrelated connection in my head, but I feel like so many, even like first round players this year were like 23 or 24. It's an old class. Is this going to become more common, Connor, with like NIL? Yes. Yes. It's a double whammy here, right? Because you have the NIL meets the COVID impact. So a ton of guys had this extra year, like – when I do my draft doc, it has just become ridiculous figuring out a sixth year player from a fifth year player from an actual fourth year senior. Uh, it's, it's pretty unheralded territory we've reached. And now you have NIL that some guys are like, you know what, if I can make, I don't know, a million dollars and stay in school. And I was a projected day three pick. I'm not going to leave anymore because maybe I'll be a day two pick. And if I'm not, then I still made money anyway. So yeah, it, it does have a really big trickle effect of older prospects that are going earlier. And kind of, I think it'll have an effect just beyond like the obvious, like I'm making money so I can actually stay in school if I want to. I think NIL is also going to help uncover players, you know, who are like just buried on depth charts. They get brought, they, they get, pro- they go somewhere else because they've been promised NIL money and then they can actually break out, maybe say yep. as an older player. And so it's not just going to be, from, I think, from the perspective of like, oh, the players are getting paid, so they might actually stay now. That will just help maybe uncover more gems than it was in the than there were in the past. One hundred percent. Yeah. yeah Actual just, player development. Yes, exactly. I just man, I feel like every prize like, wow, uh, this guy's five foot nine, weighs one hundred and seventy pounds, and is twenty four years old. Yeah, like, that was like every other prospect. I think that was Zay class. Flowers. And Tank exactly, Death. it was Zay Flowers. And yeah, so okay, so Zay, I think Zay's turning twenty three. Yeah, he turns 23 week one. But like, you're, there was a lot of guys like that where you were like, this is this is pretty rare stuff. Tank Dell was one for sure. Hendon Hooker's 25. Like, Man, yeah. yeah. A lot, and Will, Will Levis, a little old himself. Yeah, 24-year-old yeah. um, rookie, I believe. Denny, uh, something I, on the tip of your tongue. Yeah. Just two, two things on uh, Dalton Kincaid that jumped out to me about like what kind of role he would be, be best in. And I think Utah recognized this. Uh, last year when Kincaid was seventh in tight end pass routes in the nation last year, and he was second in yards per route run behind only Michael Mayer uh, among tight ends. I mean, really efficient and used primarily as a pass catching weapon. Hopefully that carries over to Buffalo, but the the transition, like Connor said, is, uh, is, is pretty steep going to the AFC East. We're talking about older players. The very final guy we're talking about today, Jaden Reed went in the fifties, the Packers, he was in college like five years. I think he just turned 23. Uh, so he's not as old as some of these guys. But first off, Connor, what kind of players Jaden Reed? And then we'll get into the impact this is going to have. Maybe Romeo Dobbs, who was seemed like he had like some of the juice early last year, but then Christian Watson, who yeah. had more draft capital, ended up just being better. And just what kind of players Jaden Reed? And uh, then maybe Denny can get in if this renders Romeo Dobbs a non-factor. I thought he was one of the better returners in this draft, which is probably not the first thing you want to hear. No, it's not. No, it's not. We can move on, actually, um, now. <laughs> so I think he could be a viable slot receiver. Um, I was pretty shocked. I mean, I, this is somebody I thought would declare two years ago when you look at how productive he was then and, and, and decided to stay in school. But if you told me Jaden Reed would be drafted over Hyatt, Tillman, Downs, even Mims, even Tank Dell – 
I, it's like pretty jarring, but I guess nothing should be jarring of what Brian Gutekunst and the Packers do. No, that, it's there's so much open landscape there at the wide receiver position that Reed has to be discussed as a factor because you know maybe Dub's health is a concern. He wasn't drafted early enough that he's written in ink as a factor. Besides that, it's just Christian Watson, two rookie tight ends. But we don't really know if Jordan Love's going to be good next year. No, important. And I don't think Reed, Reed can't like. Reed can't lift a situation up around him. He's a guy that can go for the ride and be solid. So Reed in a good offense, like if the Chiefs, I hate saying the Chiefs because that's the, there's a lot of offensive offenses that if Reed went into, you'd feel good about him. I, this wasn't one for me as a rookie. Yeah, that's, that's not, man. Yeah, just, I just, I just stopped listening after you said return. I don't know if they want to throw the ball. Yeah. <laughs> you said returner, though. I just zoned out. Like, I don't, I don't need to hear anything else. Great returner. Not going to be a fantasy right. factor. Uh, Denny, what do you think, Scott? I mean, really, really good breakdown. What kind of that strikes me. It's very accurate. And it's so weird how Jordan loves reputation. I feel like people now have, like, expectations again for Jordan Love or for, like, two or three years. we just like, well, he's going to be High a expectations. Yeah. It's really, really uh, the power of narrative in Jordan Love, Denny. But what do you think about the Packers receiving <laughs> for him? I mean, Jaden Reed has uh, a, a somewhat – like reasonable analytical profile uh, breakout age of 18 and a half, which is outrageous. Um, yeah, but that was six years ago. Uh, I know. I mean, it was, it was a while. It was literally five years ago. It was five years <laughs> ago. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, and uh, his, his college target share was in the 75th percentile, 25% target share in college. You know, I, there are some things that jump out about his profile to say, Hey, this guy might, uh, the Packers might've been onto something. Uh, Dobbs, I, I I don't think Dobbs is like automatically locked into the wide receiver two role there because he it was very iffy last year. Once Christian Watson was fully integrated into that offense, um, very excited about Watson. Uh, you know, I I don't I don't really know what to do with Dobbs right now. Uh, I I guess Reed is someone someone to monitor. I I would I yeah obviously like Connor said the whole special teams aspect return guy aspect freaks me out a little bit. Does, and it just would it would be just like the Packers, as Connor alluded to, to draft a player because he was a good returner. Like, hey, if he becomes a receiver and contributes an offense, that's great. But right. we have no problem taking a returner because we have very large brains and we draft H backs in the second round. And we draft Jordan <laughs> Love in the first round and do a lot of crazy stuff. Man, we covered a lot of ground today. We had a lot more stuff we could have gotten to. We just ran out of time, but we we covered a lot of situations. Yeah, Connor, thank you so much for coming and dropping oh, some knowledge for us today. It's a blast. No, we have a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. That's how uh, we check do it in on if the Mets if the Mets are losing the Braves at some point. Did you check the score as it was going? You can be honest. I mean, when I, you I didn't add read, I checked it was six five. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. They're clawing yeah. it back. Yeah, I believe it in. was yeah, I believe it was six to one. Because I was taunting wow. you before the show started. Then you were <laughs> that it was just chirping six, me, chirping yeah, your guest. Six four, I know. Yeah, have a great incredible stuff. Great host etiquette. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming by. And Denny, dropping knowledge as usual. We'll be dropping more knowledge on Wednesday this week, not Thursday. Um, Denny, Kyle, and myself going to be talking more NFL draft fallout. Um, so for Connor Rogers, for Denny Carter, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back later this week. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.